everyone, and welcome. Good morning from Japan. This is Sustainable Short Takes. I'm JJ Walsh here in Hiroshima. And hi, good morning, everyone. I'm Tova Kinaoka here in Yokohama. It's great to start again. This is our first short takes, sustainability focused show, short takes, looking at issues in Japan. And this is the first one for 2023. Happy New Year, Tova. Yeah, happy New Year. <laughs> Nice to see the sunshine at the beginning of the year. <laughs> it is. It is.、Uh, let's dive right in, shall we?、Uh, so, usually we'll talk about a few different issues that have kind of been on our radar. And then at the end, we end with some book recommendations. And I believe we're going to stick to that、uh, for 30 minutes this time.、Uh, Tova, do you want to start? You had a really interesting report、uh, the circularity gap. You want to just give us a little overview? Right, so this came out,、um, I think, very recently, and it was looking at、um, sort of at the moment、uh, globally what are the, the figures for circularity in、um, business. And、uh, the, the figures were very disappointing, actually, really low,、um, and they've actually decreased in the last few years. So,、um, It went from 9.1%, they said in 2018.、Um, currently, we're at 7.2%.、Um, so, that's disappointing to see that the trend is, is going the wrong way, which means that、um, you know, over 90% of raw materials are being wasted,、um, which Obviously, is not sustainable. We can't keep going like this. We have one planet, finite resources.、Um, so, it laid out、uh, in the report some different ways we can look at building circularity into、uh, different systems, whether that's production、um, of、uh, sort of goods,、um, consumer goods, also things like in food systems,、um, in energy, water usage,、um, so that we can keep within the planetary boundaries、um, and the, you know, The resources available.、Um, so just, I think it was to give people a, a little、Sorry. refresher what circularity <clears throat> means, right? So the, the idea of reusing resources once they're、yeah. in our environment instead of always getting new resources and the, changing the idea from make to waste and、mm-hmm. end of life, like one line,、yeah. to an idea、mm-hmm. of. Make to remake and reuse and keep using in a circular fashion. Yeah. Is, that, is that about right? Yeah, absolutely. So there are different ways you can do this, right? So you can look at the,、um, uh, the product at its end of life and say, okay, can it be repurposed? Can it be recycled?、Um, can we sort of break it down into its、um, constituent parts and use those again?、Um, and、uh, so they're. they're you know, At the moment, I think a lot of materials are designed not with that in mind. So it gets to the end of the life cycle of the,、um, the product, and then it's like, oh, well, now what are we going to do with this? How do we deal with this? But if instead we can start thinking longer term to, all right, how do we? I mean, I really like this model there that you've just pulled up, right? So, you know, thinking from the product design stage and saying, actually, how do we design this product so that it's easier? To deal with at the other end. So it's designed to be recycled and go back into the circular system. So it can be things like, you know, how, what different materials are used in it. Is it,、uh, you know, a combination of different materials、um, that are bonded together? How are they bonded? Is it possible to break them apart again afterwards? You know, if you've got plastics, for example, is it 
a type of plastic that can be recycled or is it mixed? Um, and if it's mixed, it makes it very difficult um, to, to separate it back out again um, into reusable parts. Yeah. So sort of starting right at the design process to think about, okay, how can we make it so that we can reclaim these materials at the end, which if you're a manufacturer, actually, you know, reclaiming them means that you're not having to buy new virgin materials. So obviously there's a, um, you know, you have to set up new processes and systems to reclaim it, um, which takes some initial investment. But then once that happens, you're able to cut the cost because you're not buying new raw materials. And it also helps with stability, right? So we've saw so much, di uh, much disruption through COVID and, and now with, you know, the, the situation in um, Russia, Ukraine, you know, disrupting supply chains. If you've got your materials already in this circular loop, then, you know, it's much more stable. You know, you've got, uh, you know, your resources where you need them. Yeah, really exciting to think about how to reuse things and the, yeah. the, the communication aspect of mm. talking to designers and designers yeah. seeing what happens at the end stage and how uh, people are like, for example, in Kamikatsu, that's one of the things that they yes. try to do is invite the designers to that end stage where they're trying to take things apart. The mixed materials, like you said, is real problematic. Mm. Uh, so like at Hotel Y at the Waste Center, they often invite company people yeah. to take apart things and to think about, wow, this is multi-plastic and metal and, and burnables and biodegradables all together. Oh, that's a problem, isn't it? <laughs> they don't really think about it when they're yeah. making it, right? Exactly. So we just need better communication and awareness right. as well. Yeah. yeah, it always comes back to that, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And one example, which doesn't seem related, but very related to the whole idea of circularity is Minka. And uh, oh. that's one of the things yep. I wanted to talk about this time. I came mm -hmm. across uh, this film, which was a few years ago, covered by New York Times, mm -hmm. uh, related to the speaker at the next uh, Minka Summit for this Ooh, year. Fantastic. So uh, his name is, wait, I'm blanking right now. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Uh, Yoshi, yeah, Yoshihiro Takishita. And he was featured by the New York Times. Uh, this film called Minka was made about him and by Davina Pardo. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a Kickstarter campaign all about his and uh, AP reporter who was working in Tokyo, how they fell in love with renovating old Minka mm -hmm. and moved a Minka from a rural area to Kamakura. So oh, the whole wow. idea of taking apart all these yeah. beautiful materials and this, the minkas and traditional houses, how they're all fitted together yeah. with that purpose in mind of being able to take it apart and yeah. move it. And mm -hmm. uh, so I'm really excited about hearing him. He's the keynote speaker at the Minka Summit this year. The dates have been decided for April 21st to 23rd in Aichi. And uh, I'll put the links below for the Kominka Japan website, um, but you can get more details there. But I'm going to jump ahead to my book introduction because uh, <laughs> the book by John Roderick about Minka uh, mm -hmm. is an older book, but you can get a Kindle version for just a couple dollars on Amazon yeah. right now. Um, so I'm excited to read that in in like expectation of the Minka mm -hmm. Summit. I don't know if I can make it. 
uh, there to Aichi this year, but I went to the one in Kyoto last year and Alex Kerr was the keynote speaker and it was just such a wonderful uh, passion for reusing things, passion yeah. for sustainability, not just <laughs> about old houses, but yeah. kind of focused on old houses and Minka renovations as a great example of mm -hmm. how to live a more sustainable yeah. life or run a sustainable exactly, business. Exactly, exactly. These are not new concepts, right? Um, you know, it's only recently really in the last sort of five, six decades or more that we've really started to go for this linear make, you know, use waste kind of um approach you know before that people were really good at reusing things um and it's about getting back to that i think um you know in the, in the context of the modern environment with new materials and things like that but um yeah. that that mindset i think um is there it's been lost we've moved away from it a lot but it is still down there somewhere yeah, absolutely. Uh, Alexander Brown has joined from LinkedIn. Nice to see you, Alex. I had the chance to talk with Alex uh, this year so far about his company, Tokyo Esk, and uh, they help uh, international businesses come to uh, work and sell their products and services in Japan. So they're kind of a localization uh, business. We need more of that, definitely. Yes. Thanks for joining. <laughs> Um, now, you talked about some of the data about the circularity report and how worldwide it's not looking so good. I had a look at uh, CCPI, uh, the Climate Change Performance Index. Unfortunately, yep. Japan has dropped down to 50th. Uh, right. It was at 45th last year, but the report is saying Japan is not on target to meet its 2030 uh, targets for uh, emissions reductions. And it's, it's really, it's unfortunate news, but there's no reason that uh, Japan can't get back on target mm -hmm. for this. Um, of course, a lot of countries are, are falling behind and many are yeah. saying COVID was really difficult time uh, mm. to keep up on the targets. There's a lot of adjustments that need to be made. Um, so this, this could be a, a year when we see more passion to get back mm -hmm. on target. Uh, we want to be climbing up in the ranks, not down in the ranks yeah. Yeah. Um, for keeping on target like that, right? Mm, very much. Well, that kind of leads into, I think, another of the topics that I wanted to mention today, which is leadership and actually leading organizations or countries to keep them on track towards those goals. Um, Paul Pullman, um, who uh, I'm a big fan of, put a post on LinkedIn a few days ago talking about leadership and talking about, um, you know, really, it, it's not that we don't have the, the, the means, the technology, the understanding, we know what needs to be done. We have, you know, a lot of the technology we need. Um, and I love the way he starts with, you know, can leadership levels rise uh, faster than sea levels? Um, because really that's what it comes down to. I think it's having the the courage as a leader um, to, to say, actually, no, this is not good enough. Incremental improvements or making excuses about, you know, this situation or that situation. Yes, it's tough. It's Always, there's always going to be something that you could use as an excuse. At the end of the day, it comes down to are the leaders prepared to take bold steps and get their people engaged um, and empowered 
to to make the changes that we need. So um, I was really uh, always a big fan of what he writes anyway. It always makes a lot of sense and it always comes from very much the the people um, side of uh, sustainability, which is what, you know, we do. Um, but also I was pleased to see coming out of Davos as well, some quite a lot of talk on leadership this time. Um, I haven't looked into much of the details of what's coming out yet. It's been a, a bit of a busy week, but um, it was really good to see. I saw um, an article early on in the week, I think, um, just as discussions were started talking about leadership and actually what's needed for us to to make up the lost ground and uh, get back on track with what we're doing. So pleased to see that that's really coming into the fore now. It's not just about the processes and the targets. Of course, those are really, really important. We need the data. They need to be science-based targets, but we also need the leadership to, to yeah. put those things into action. Yeah, and inclusivity and clear communication across channels, mm. even within your own organization, right? Like we yeah. we just see so many communication failures, which can fix things that are, you know are problematic once it goes out. But yeah. really, it's your organization can improve mm -hmm. communication and really, you know, oversee yeah. things a lot better. Yeah. Um, in terms of leadership, I think it runs right into uh, this project, this campaign. Yes. I talked to Marian Hara yesterday and I talked with Rochelle Kopp last year. These campaigners are trying really hard to protect uh, this project at Jingu Gayan and get them to pause and to really think about uh, what the project is is needed uh why new buildings are needed why mm -hmm. trees are needed to be cut down like what is what is the rationale are you getting enough expert advice from environmentalists mm -hmm. from the local community members uh is this really wanted and right. uh marion had done an interesting survey with international visitors in the jingu gayan while they were out campaigning to try to get this project stopped and so many people from around the world were mm. so passionate about the trees and the area. And uh, Tova, you mentioned as well, you had been working in the area and went out yeah. and the feeling of feeling refreshed and relaxed because you're in a more natural area around beautiful trees. And exactly. even the old buildings, the old stadium, it has a lot of charm. And yeah. is there a really need to use all that money to make something new, which has a lot of carbon impact as well, right? Massive, massive impact. And I think just, you know, the, the environmental impact, I think, is the, the most important factor there. But also, I mean, you were mentioning earlier, I mean, look at it. Wow, it's gorgeous, right? Um, and those people standing there with cameras, I saw that a lot when, you know, I was working in that area and you'd go and walk through and whatever season it is, it's beautiful. There are always people out taking pictures of it. This is, you know, something that draws people in. Um, it's good for the people who work in the area. They can get out for, for mental health, for well-being, to get some time away from the, you know, the office environment and unwind for a bit. Um, but also for tourists. I mean, you were talking about that a little bit before we um, came in, and it was interesting to see um, Marianne's um, uh, research as well, some comments there supporting that. Yeah. 
and we need more carbon capture. We know old trees, a lot of these trees are 100 years old. Mm -hmm. um, so the idea is, oh, we'll just transplant them somewhere else or we'll just plant new trees. Well, that's not really environmentally based sound knowledge right now. Yeah. Uh, we know that the old trees are our savior. We do not want to cut them down or transplant them and risk them dying because they're moved right. or new trees are just not going to absorb as much carbon. There's, there's just so many reasons. Plus they're yeah. so beautiful. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Tokyo needs to hold on to every tree it's got. I mean, I, I'm always really struck. I love Japan. I love Tokyo. And I, I you know that the countryside here is gorgeous, but you go into the cities. I was really struck um, with the difference actually when I was in uh, London recently um, for, for Christmas, visiting family, you know, again, it's a huge city. Um, it the, the weather was pretty terrible most of the time, but you look around and everywhere you look, there was green, there are trees. Um, and when I came back to Tokyo, just looking out across, it's like, wow, no, it's gray, gray everywhere you look. It needs these trees, um, you know, to keep the ones we've got and more if possible um, for the air quality, for the environment, but also that, you know, the visual appeal of the city um, for, for both people who live here and visitors that Japan wants to draw in. You know, we can't afford to lose these places. Yeah. And it's it's that combination, too, of of the old buildings and seeing value in the old buildings, yeah. like the old stadium. Does it need to come down or you just want mm -hmm. a new modern version? Is that right. that cost and the environmental damage that's going to happen because of a new build? Is it worth it? Is it really going to give enjoyment more? Like, what? Mm -hmm. where is your value proposition here, right? And yeah. it's not only Tokyo. This is happening all over Japan. Uh, we have campaigns. Uh, unfortunately, the Central Park in Hiroshima is being redeveloped into a big soccer stadium that kind of happened really fast without too many local people being able to talk about mm, what they yeah. were hoping the green space would be kept. Uh, there's another one in Hiroshima around the city library, uh, mm. which is very unclear what's going to happen. Are the trees going to be preserved, right? And uh, Marion was mentioning uh, Nagoya, there's uh, th these things happening. A lot of parks are kind of under the chopping block for some mm -hmm. reason. It's easier to develop a clear open space yeah. in, instead of uh, knocking down Akia neighborhoods that don't need to be mm -hmm. there and using that, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a, mm -hmm. a lot of questions there as to the reasons why mm -hmm. uh, the parks are, are being cut up. Let's yeah. not just do it because it's easier. <laughs> right, exactly. We need slightly longer term thinking than that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Absolutely. And one of the pictures I saw in the Jingu Gaian uh, picture was a really cool new car. A lot yeah. of people will go there for wedding photographs or in kimono. But also, if you get a new car, a lot of people take their car there to take a picture next to the trees, which <laughs> takes me to my next topic about... I really think this is the year we're going to see some EVs in yeah. Japan. Um, so I did a short video. And right after I did the video, I had loads of new information. Uh, Japan is subsidizing electric vehicles like crazy this year. Uh, you can get 650,000 yen back as a subsidy when you buy an electric vehicle. Wow. Tokyo 
gives you an extra like 450,000. So there are some huge incentives for saving money from the purchase side. But Mm -hmm. also I was looking back at all of my spending on charging over last year uh, with my Tesla app. And I saved so much money. And it was not only the saving of money for charging instead of gas, but it was also the convenience of mostly charging at home using my solar panels. Mm -hmm. And then you have the added value of emotionally and mentally feeling good that you're driving on clean energy. And uh, there's a lot more uh, brands that are entering the market this year. We've got Hyundai. A guy reached out with a new electric Hyundai. So he's going to join my show and talk about his uh, reason to choose that. Really good prices for that. Mm -hmm. A new brand is entering the market called BYD from China. And they've got some very reasonably priced uh, EVs. Now, no big news from Toyota yet entering the market. You can only lease a Toyota EV right now. Right. Um, Honda has a Honda E, but it's a little expensive for the range. Uh, Nissan has a very reasonably priced Leaf and a few other models uh, with less range. Tesla still has two great cars, uh, good range, good prices. So if you're interested in EVs, this is the year to think about it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think this is going to start to, it, it'll create a sort of positive uh, feedback loop, won't it? The more people that get them, that understand the benefits um, and, you know, that actually this is possible in terms of the infrastructure and stuff, that the more that it'll accelerate the, the development of the infrastructure and making it easy um, to, to charge wherever you are. So, uh, yeah. Well, Japan has a growing and really great charging network. Yeah. Uh, there's more chargers than gas stations right now. And oh, that's, that's, that's only going to increase. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. there's uh, rent-a-car companies are getting in the yes. EV game, uh, car-sharing mm-hmm. companies as well. So yeah. I think we're going to see a lot of acceleration of the EV infrastructure yeah. and market this year. Yeah, very exciting. Exciting, yeah. Uh, we have a comment from uh, Sleeman Azizi on LinkedIn. It's a challenge to affect real change when citizens are somewhat divorced from the democratic process. Mm. It's a problem in many countries. I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Getting people involved, you know, like you said earlier, it's about communication, right? And and giving people the opportunity to to see how this connects to them, to their lives, um, that the impact that'll have. I think that that would help get people more engaged but it's interesting you mentioned in um you know in Hiroshima how that happened so quickly there was no time for people to to hear about it and to get involved so you know there there needs to be I think um space created for that the the government if they're going to make these um decisions local governments or whatever need to give people time to to understand what's going on and what the impact would be definitely and that's something that Marianne talked about uh last Mm. night Um, She had a a little bit of time to talk about her work with Amnesty International Mm -hmm. and how uh, they're trying to raise awareness about the death penalty in Japan, which Mm -hmm. is often off the radar for most people. They don't realize um, how the information is not readily available about how convictions are made. There are some false convictions, even for people on death row. Um, Mm. how death penalty is carried out without much advance notice. People don't even know in their family if somebody's going to be executed. Um, She also mentioned about the 
the asylum seekers coming to Japan and how that is really uh, kind of not secret, but very difficult to get information. And so mm -hmm. their work with Amnesty is trying to raise awareness about human rights issues, even in Japan and things that you can do in writing letters and just kind of taking in more information. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's, that's a great uh, thing that she's doing with Amnesty just to raise awareness, just talking yeah. about these things. Mm -hmm. But the idea that even signing your name is quite difficult in Japan. Right. She was saying, yeah. like, people are, are resistant to even write their name and address. So mm -hmm. having, having that willingness to use your freedoms to help pe other people who've lost their freedom or mm -hmm. lost their rights, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, you often work with uh, Jane Best, and you guys have an event coming up, don't you? We do. So on the 10th of March, we've got um, the REI, so that's Refugee Empowerment International um, Gala. So a huge uh, evening. It'll be at the Conrad uh, Hotel in Tokyo, which is a beautiful venue. Um, and it's going to be a really exciting evening. So last year, we finally managed to have it um, for the first time uh, since COVID. So I think last year was the first time in three years we've been able to hold the gala. And uh, we've got it again on the 10th of March. Um, so the idea is it's raising funds. Um, there'll be a silent auction with some pretty spectacular prizes. Um, there'll be raffles of his artwork. There are trips um, overseas and stuff for the, the, um, the, the prizes. They're really quite something. And the idea is that it raises funds to um, support REI's projects. So REI... Um, works with refugee projects, not in Japan, and the, the fundraising is done here, but it's uh, projects, for example, in Lebanon, in uh, Nairobi, um, and several in uh, the sort of Thai Myanmar border area. And it's all about that their projects um, are really sustainable in that it's by the refugees for the refugees. So it's not just coming in as outsiders saying, oh, here's what we think you need and here's how you should do it. And there's none of that. So the, the projects reach out to, to us at REI and they say, look, you know, we this is what we want to do. This is what we think we need. Um, and here's a, a business plan and a proposal. And then we evaluate that and make sure it's it's solid um, and they, you know, have the, the um the right idea for, you know, um, how they're actually going to make this viable um, and that it impacts people um, positively, gives them a chance to, to take back control of their lives and rebuild futures. And then we um, d uh, donate to the projects on that sort of either for six months, 12 months, review again at the end. So it's a very thorough and careful process, but it's really nice in that it's the refugees themselves running these projects and you can see how it impacts their lives, whether that's sort of, um, you mentioned human rights earlier. So one of the, the projects um, is educating them on their rights. Most of them have no idea, you know, when they're being kicked out the, the um, you know, from Myanmar, for example, potentially what are their rights here so educating them around that and um, working with local um uh, sort of lawyers so that they can understand okay this is this is what's possible actually and here's how i can take back control of my life and then using that knowledge to go and um to help others understand as well they've got ones for um mothers uh supporting you know new mothers again so 
it's a lot of it about awareness and education, how to care for a newborn when it's their first kid and they've had no support if they've had to, you know, flee wherever they're they're coming from. Um, So the the projects are amazing and the gala is a great way. It'll be a really fun night, but it's also a great way to help support projects like this. So uh, if you're interested in coming, please do. It'd be great. Yeah, awesome. And uh, I had the pleasure of talking with both you and Jane Best about the good work that REI does. Uh, I'll put the link below. It's a year ago now. We need to have a catch up. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, we've got just a couple more minutes, Tova. I talked about my book recommendation. Um, I'm going to search for Minka and get the digital version. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's kind of an older book by John Roderick. Um, But you had a recommendation for Mio. Do you want to tell us about it? Yes. So this is um, a beautiful book uh, written by Kinota Braithwaite, um, who lives locally here. Um, And his daughter, Mio, so she's mixed race and was suffering bullying at school and getting really down about that, about the color of her skin, was being, you know, um, teased and, and bullied because of that. And so he wrote this book to support her, but also to to educate kids on you know, the fact that, that there's a whole range of people out there and this is all beautiful. Um, and he, since he launched the book, he's then been going out into schools and universities and using this as the basis for um, you know, raising awareness, for giving people a, a place to talk about these issues, because that it, it's a subject. I know we've had these conversations in some of the corporate clients we work with where you know, you can talk about gender diversity, you can talk maybe about LGBTQ, you can talk about disability. When it comes to race, people get very sensitive and they don't know how to talk about it. Um, but it, it's here, it goes on. And, and so he's doing amazing work um, with, as you can see from these pictures, with different um, you know, educational establishments, really creating that safe space for people to talk about it so uh, if you're from an educational establishment and you know here in japan please reach out to him and you know go and invite him to come and talk to to you to your teachers to your um students because i i think this is he's got a really important message and a great way of getting it across yeah wonderful and i'd love to have him on my show i'm yes. gonna i think yeah. i've just connected on social media so i'll reach out fantastic yeah, yeah. please do um, yeah, uh, Slimen, another comment, the bullying culture in Japan is a real thorn in the mm. country. I think, yeah, it's, it's lack of awareness and, and yeah. lack of exposure. Um, the yeah. more, the mm. more international kids are around in schools, the easier it becomes. Mm. We've seen over yeah. time. Yeah. But um, it's got to start with awareness, right? And education yeah. and creating the spaces to, to talk about this and a lot of it comes from fear and unfamiliarity I think rather than malice at least to begin with so if you can get people earlier on to to understand you know why this is not acceptable how it hurts people um, and then move beyond that then that's hopefully they're taking that into their adult lives as well yeah for sure but books and and periodicals and social media it all helps to raise awareness I'm so glad he's done that and it's been so well received uh, thank you so much, Tova. That's our 30 minutes. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Thank you. And I think we've got somebody from Denver um, listening, uh, Enrique, all the way in Denver. So hi, Enrique. Thank you for tuning in. 
Yeah, fabulous staff, everybody from YouTube and LinkedIn today, and hopefully some people watching on repeat. It's wonderful to have you here. Thanks so much for all the great comments and questions today. And we'll try to do this once a month, right, Tova? Sounds good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll make it happen. We'll make it happen. All right, everyone. Have a great day. Thanks so much for joining. Take care. Thank you. You all seem like such nice people. It's truly my pleasure to make your company. Some of our paths may diverge over the years. All of you left a certain mark on me. you are